Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says that David, when he was bringing up the Ark of the Covenant, praised the Lord and sang to the Lord and uh, was jumping around, dancing, excited about the Lord. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with worshiping God with a full heart. And uh, as we look at this scripture tonight, that's what this is about. It's about Hannah worshiping with a full heart. And we need to worship God with a full heart for, for a couple of reasons. One is that it helps us draw near to the Lord and find His encouragement and strength. And uh, it helps us dwell in His presence. Uh, but also, it is part of our warfare strategy is to worship the Lord and uh, to exalt His name. And God works through the worship and the praise of His people. And so, um, the scripture here today, Hannah is praying. And it's interesting, the words and the language that she uses... Uh, actually looks back to the exodus it looks back to the great deliverance that God brought to the people of Israel uh, from Pharaoh and Egypt and the same language is used here in Hannah's prayer that was used in the song of deliverance that the Israelites sang to the Lord after coming out of Egypt and so she is looking at this not only as God delivering her and answering her prayer, but she is worshiping God as the God who is the God of salvation. He is the God who delivers, and uh, he delivers on a grand scale, uh, but he also delivers on a small scale with individuals. And of course, we know that Jesus Christ did a greater work of deliverance on the cross as he bore our sins and said, it is finished, so that we could live in the deliverance from sin, from sin's power, and from sin's penalty, and from the devil himself. God delivered us from the clutches of Satan uh, through the power of his great son, Jesus Christ. And so this prayer of salvation uses language that exalts the Lord and looks to God's salvation power on a grand scale. And the greatness of God on a grand scale. And so we need to worship the greatness of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the title of the message is Rejoicing in the Greatness of God. Uh, look with me at verse 1 of 1 Samuel 2. It says, Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. And there is no rock like our God. Do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and actions are weighed by him. The bows of the warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are starving hunger no more. The woman who is childless gives birth to seven, but the woman with many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to Sheol and he raises others up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. 
He humbles and He exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap. He sits them with noblemen and gives them a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, and He has set the world on them. He guards the steps of His faithful ones, but the wicked perish in darkness. For a person does not prevail by his own strength. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them, and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to His King, and He will lift up the horn of His anointed. Rejoicing in the greatness of God. What do we see about the greatness of God here in this scripture? First of all, we see a unique salvation. He says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. Hannah says, my horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no salvation like the salvation of our God. Sometimes I hear people say, well, you can be saved any old way. Um, I had a a professor one time that said uh, God could have used anything to redeem the world. That's that's heresy. Uh, No, only one person could have been used to save the world from sin, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was God the Son who came to bear the penalty for our sin, and He is the only way of salvation. Uh, God's salvation has been consistent. Um, God saved Noah from the flood. God saved Abraham from his pagan idolatry and brought him into the land of promise. Uh, God saved Jacob uh, from uh, the, the situation of the famine that he was in and, and uh, saved David from his son Absalom. And you go throughout the scripture, you find over and over and over again. And even in the New Testament, you find uh, uh, Peter knocking at the door. And Rhoda comes to the door and uh, uh, is so excited she shuts it back and says, uh, uh, Peter's outside. Well, why didn't you let him in? (laughs) And uh, this is what we were praying for. And so uh, she lets him in. But God is a God who delivers and saves. And as we call out to him in prayer, he brings a unique salvation. And he can bring a great salvation, uh, but he can also bring a salvation in our personal lives. Um, So we need to put our faith and trust in the great God who saves. Um, As you you think about your salvation, you think about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, uh, there's truly nothing that is too hard for God. So uh, lift up those prayers to Him for His salvation. Uh, So there's a unique salvation and praise Him for that salvation. But there's also a surpassing holiness. Look at verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. So rejoicing in the greatness of God. Why should we rejoice? What do we see? There's a unique salvation, but there's also a surpassing holiness. To be holy means to be set apart, to be distinct. Um, In the temple, Isaiah sees the seraphim. Uh, crying out to God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Well, the way they used language back in those days, if you said holy once, you're holy. If you said holy twice, you're holier. If you said holy three times, you're holiest. 
if you want to say it this way, uh, if you look beside the word holy in the dictionary, God's picture should be there. There is no one holy like him. He is set apart from us in his love. He is set apart from us in his justice. He is set apart in his grace and mercy. And in every facet of his character, he is unlike anyone or any uh, other being in all of creation. Even the angels, the mighty angels of heaven who shake the ground when they speak are nowhere near uh, what God is in his holiness. They are way down here and God is way up here. Uh, he, is, he is in a category all by himself. Holy, holy, holy. That is why when God shows his love to us and we don't deserve it and we think, oh, well, you know, God... Um, Perhaps I wouldn't forgive this, but, but God forgives. And we're amazed at his grace and we're amazed at his love. Why is that? Because he's holy. There's no one like him. And, and he, he goes beyond every category that we have to describe him. And were it not for the revelation of Scripture, we would be in the dark. We wouldn't even have a place to start uh, to describe who he is. Uh, but we'll get to spend an eternity... Uh, discovering new facets of the holiness and the greatness of our God. So, worship Him. Praise His name for His surpassing holiness. And thank Him for it. By the way, the holiness of God that requires His justice is the holiness of God that's in love sends His only begotten Son to take care of it. And so... The holiness of his justice used to distress me until I recognized the holiness of his love was so great that it took care of the holiness of his justice through Jesus Christ. Um, then uh, not only do you see a unique salvation, a surpassing holiness, you see a steady support. A steady support. If you look at verse 2. He says, there's no one beside you, and there is no rock like our God. Hannah sees the support of God. He's a steady support. <laughs> Ask Pharaoh. <laughs> plague after plague after plague after plague after plague after plague. Because Pharaoh had set himself against the people of Israel. And God said, I'm going to support my people. And I'm going to do what it takes to support my people until, of course, as you know, in Passover, God delivered them. He is our steady support. Hannah found that out. Um, she had a relationship with God. She knew how to go to God in prayer. But in the time of her greatest pain and difficulty and struggle, God came alongside her and supported her and answered her prayer. And so she recognizes that God is the rock of her life. Everything else in our life is changing, but God is the unmovable rock. He is always the same. And no matter what may come tomorrow, uh, no matter who may get elected, no matter uh, what the stock market may do, our God will still be the mighty rock, the steady support for his people that we can trust. Listen, uh, you, you, you know, I saw the, the, the commercial about get a piece of the rock and, uh, you know, put your trust in the rock. And uh, listen, I've got a greater rock in his name 
is Jesus Christ, and he is a steady support. Our God is a steady support. So rejoicing in the greatness of God, we see a unique salvation, a surpassing holiness, a steady support, next to complete knowledge. Look at verse 3. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and actions are weighed by him. God has complete knowledge of our circumstances. And it's, it's truly amazing. Uh, sometimes we don't even understand our circumstances. You ever been there? I said, Lord, I don't have a clue what's going on here, uh, why things are happening the way things are happening. But praise God, he knows. And if he knows, then we can put our trust in him and we can follow his leadership and be obedient to him and trust in his complete knowledge. This complete knowledge also means that God is able to take those who are humble and broken and recognize where they are in their need and, and lift them up. If you're struggling, can I tell you, God knows your struggle. He sees the brokenness in you and he is able to help you. Uh, if you're the person causing the brokenness, he also sees that. That's kind of what he says. He weighs actions. Uh, he sees everything and he knows everything completely and he knows exactly what to do about it. Uh, God never uh, scratches his head or has something occur to him. Somebody once says, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? Uh, he, he knows everything beforehand. He has a complete knowledge. He already is in tomorrow. He, he's not bound by time like we are. He's outside of time. He sees tomorrow the same way that he sees today. He has complete and utter knowledge. He searches the heart. The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked who can know it. We can even know our own hearts the way we need to. But the Bible says that God searches the hearts and the minds. He has complete knowledge of our hearts. And so uh, David prays in the Psalms, Search me, O Lord, and know my thoughts. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me. In the everlasting way. That's a great prayer to pray, by the way. That God would, would search your heart and help lead you in the everlasting way. So he has this complete knowledge. Praise him for his knowledge. Praise him that he knows about your situation. Praise him that he's sovereign over tomorrow. Uh, so he has a unique salvation, a surpassing holiness, a, a steady support, a complete knowledge. And he is an unstoppable warrior. Look at verse 4. The bows of the warriors are broken. You see, David understood this. This is why he kept bringing his enemies to God in prayer. If you read the Psalms, that's something you see over and over and over again. David bringing his enemies to God in prayer. Why? Because he understands the truth that God is a mighty warrior. And ultimately, the battle is the Lord's. You know, sometimes we think, well, the battle rests on my shoulders. No, it doesn't. The battle is the Lord's. And what we can't do, he can do. He is an unstoppable warrior. Um, ask the people of Jericho. People are just walking around the city. <laughs> the walls fall. They take the city. That's power. 
God just declares these walls are going to fall, and they fall when he says so. Uh, Jehoshaphat. God says, put the worshipers out front and have them sing songs of praise, and you won't even have to fight, Jehoshaphat. I'm going to throw the opposing armies into confusion, and you will win the day. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. God threw them into confusion. They killed each other. And the Israelites didn't have to lift a finger. That is the power of our God, the, the mighty warrior. But not only is he a mighty warrior, but he is the Lord of hosts. You see, all he has to do is give a command. And all the hosts, all the legions of heaven's angels have to snap to. Uh, he is in charge of the armies of heaven. Elisha said, Lord, open my servant's eyes. Let him see the armies around us. They had heavenly armies protecting them against the earthly armies. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. We don't have to worry about ISIS or any of these other groups in the world. Uh, that's not that we don't take steps to, to deal with these things. But uh, you and I are ultimately under the sovereign hand of Almighty God. And anything that happens to us must go through His permission. You say, well, why, why are Christians killed overseas? Because God has allowed it for a purpose. Can God use the suffering of his people for his purpose? Sure he can. Matter of fact, in many places around the world, the suffering of the church has brought a purity to the church that has enabled the Holy Spirit to come on it with such power that nothing the human opponents that are standing against it can stop. If you look at the church in China, the Chinese Christians have been persecuted uh, especially the, the house churches that, that meet without the approval of the government. They've been persecuted. They've been imprisoned. They've been killed. They've been maimed uh, by this communist government that wants to silence them and that hates their message. And yet the church in, in China is exploding. The government can't stop it. Why? There's a supernatural power behind it so that God's purpose goes forward despite the suffering. Of his people. And that suffering one day of course will be rewarded. But we need to recognize at any moment God can stop the persecution of his people. Um, I, was, I was listening to the radio one day. And they were sharing about this missionary. He had, he got, I forget where he was a missionary. But they were, they were describing him. He was sitting there and he was teaching some of the people. And... Uh, the village witch doctor came up and was kind of uh, provoking him, trying to get him to, to get in a, in a fight with him. And uh, what he didn't know is this missionary was like a fifth degree black belt and, you know, was, was, had all the And he started to get up to take care of business. And God, the, the Spirit of God just kind of touched his heart and said, you tell him, God fights my battles. And so this missionary told this witch doctor, he said, God fights my battles. At that moment, his throat closed off and he fell dead. And revival came to the village. Can I tell you something? God doesn't need us. He's got it. He is the mighty warrior. And all of creation is under his sovereignty. 
The bows of the warriors are broken. Ask Pharaoh. He and his group were down at the bottom of the Red Sea. Um, Nothing can stop God when he chooses to march on behalf of his people. When, When he appears to Saul on the Damascus Road, you remember what he says to him? Why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, Saul, you don't know who you're fighting against here. And ultimately, if Saul hadn't repented of his sin, he would have had to face the mighty warrior who was standing on behalf of his people. And so, praise God for his unique salvation, surpassing holiness, steady support, complete knowledge that he's the unstoppable warrior, but also for his unlimited provision. Verse 5, those who are starving hunger no more. God's able to provide for your needs. God's able to provide for the needs of his people in countries that are poor. He's able to provide the needs of his people in this country. A wilderness with two million people, God provided everything they needed. He provided manna. He provided water from a rock. He preserved their clothes so they didn't wear out. I could have used some of that when I was in fifth grade. I went through shoes about every four weeks. And uh, they'd get holes in them and start falling apart. Um, and, uh, but God preserved their clothing. And he supplied their needs. And Jesus said, hey, have you seen how God clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the furnace? Hey, the flowers, Solomon didn't even have clothing like them. Will not God provide for you? And so God's able to provide for us. I love uh, Peter. He's, he's throwing out his line in the, in the sea because Jesus has said, hey, it's tax time. Go throw your line in the water. And he pulls out the fish, and there's his tax money in the mouth of the fish. I wish I could do that with the IRS. That'd be awesome. But God provided Peter's need, and God will provide our needs as we come to him. Rejoicing in the greatness of God. What do we see? Not only this unlimited provision, but a resurrection power. Look at verse 6. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to Sheol and he raises others up. There is a resurrection power. God is sovereign over life. He brings death and gives life. God is sovereign. He doesn't have to take your life. He just has to withdraw your next breath. Say, I'm not going to give the next breath. And it's over. But he also is sovereign over those who are dead and can raise them back to life. Ask Lazarus. Loose him and let him go. He doesn't need these gray clothes anymore. Isn't it great that Jesus one day is going to give the command and every child of God in every cemetery around the world is going to burst forth from the grave to meet him in the air. And then we'll get to, those of us who are still alive and remaining, we'll get to meet them in the air. This resurrection 
power. Some people say the Old Testament doesn't talk about the resurrection, doesn't understand that there is a resurrection. I beg to differ. This verse right here shows that that's a lie. Hannah predicts God's resurrection work uh, before the time of Christ and uh, provides some help for us. Look with me at verse 10. said, He will give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. The word anointed here is the word Mashiach, Messiah. He will give an anointing. He will lift up the horn, the power, the sovereignty of his Messiah. Listen, I'm going to tell you, Jesus didn't just raise from the dead. He has been exalted to the right hand of God where the angels bow to him. And he rules sovereignly at the Father's right hand. And one day he's coming back. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a great picture of the greatness of our God. We can trust in Him. Put your trust in Him. Worship Him. Praise His name because He's great. Also, note that Hannah is praying, I believe, in the filling of the Holy Spirit. And as she prays in the filling of the Holy Spirit, she blesses us. (laughs) And God speaks through her prayer to minister to the people of God. As you pray under the direction of the Holy Spirit, God will powerfully use your prayer life. And he'll also bless others through it. Uh, So rejoicing in the greatness of God. What do we see? We see a unique salvation a surpassing holiness, a steady support, a complete knowledge, an unstoppable warrior, an unlimited provision, and a resurrection power. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for your mighty power. Lord, thank you that you are not like other so-called gods who have mouths but they can't speak and eyes but they can't see and legs but they can't walk. You are the mighty sovereign Lord of the universe. And you speak and you act and you change things and you answer prayer. And one day you're going to send your son to come get us. We just praise your name for your goodness and your grace to us. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us to live a life of thanksgiving and praise to you. Lord, let our hearts be full like Hannah's heart was full, uh, to praise your name and to glorify you for who you are. Let our eyes be fixed upon you rather than upon uh, the difficulties uh, uh, and struggles of this life. And Father, give us the grace uh, to weather the storms of life with our feet planted firmly upon the rock of the ages. And Lord, if there's somebody here who doesn't know you tonight, I pray that they would.